0: Hey folks, welcome to the Airport Wild Podcast, brought to you by Loomaker's Wildlife Management. I'm your host, Jesse Warner, and in this podcast we'll be going over tips, tactics, and doing some gear reviews to help you, the listener, to get set up and prepared to bring wildlife management to a higher level. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode double 001 of the Airport Wild Podcast, brought to you by Loomaker's Wildlife Management. Today is the 26th of December, 2018, we're almost out of 2018 now. Um, as always, I'm your host, Jesse Warner, and along with my semi-silent partner in crime, Mr. Boone. In today's episode, I just wanted to go over some bare-bones basics of what uh, everybody should be carrying in order to properly see, identify, and recur- record excuse me, uh, bird and wildlife observations. Uh, before you can identify a bird or any species of wildlife, really, you got to be able to see it. Uh, so, our first gear item up for discussion is a good set of binos, binoculars. Um, now I'm not saying you should run right out and gear up with the latest and greatest pair of binoculars, probably, which might have a European glass, um, name from a company probably more well known for jewelry making than binoculars, although they make some of the best binoculars in the business. But at the same time, those nickel and dime store El Cheapos with the plastic lenses, they're not quite going to cut it, uh, in terms of affordable yet good quality glass. There are a lot of names out there. Names like Bushnell, Nikon, Vortex, Steiner, Leupold, uh, etc. There's a ton of them out there. Um, And now some of you might already have binoculars or know what you like, in which case just kind of follow along and um, kind of half listen and see if maybe we talk about them or get mad at me if we don't, I guess. But for the rest of us, Any of these manufacturers can and do provide a pretty wide variety of um, models with different frame sizes and magnifications that can really suit any location or individual. Some people just prefer one over the other. Um, Before you go online and click buy now on some website, uh, there are some things about binoculars that I think you might find interesting. And it might just change your mind about what you want to get. Again, if you already had something in your head. I just want to give you some food for thought, as it were. Uh, Now, when it comes to purchasing a set of new binoculars, um, the first thing you'll say listed are a set of two numbers, and this could be a number X and something else. Uh, And that's going to be your magnification, which is the first number, and then the size of your objective lens is the second number. And and that's in millimeters, but... um, We'll start with the magnification. Uh, in terms of magnification, the majority of the glass options you're going to see are either 8x or 10x, and the x just means that's how many times over human vision you can see. So 8 times or 8x is you can see eight times further than you can human vision, just standalone bare naked eyes. Um, and uh, 10x is 10 times. You can go up to 12x, which is 12 times. I mean, it kind of goes up right through um in addition to these three options i mean you can go i'm just taking a quick glance at cabela's um on their webpage, and they show options ranging from 6x all the way up through 18x uh now these options they're on the table the 6x all the 6xers all the way up to the 18s they're on the table but i'd really recommend sticking with the three we mentioned the 8s the 10s and the 12s uh going back to that objective lens Again, that's just, that's in millimeters. That's how big around the diameter of the lens. That's how big around the lenses are in millimeters. Uh, most binoculars you'll see on Liar will have between like a 40 and 50 mil. And by 40, I mean they're probably going to be 42 millimeters. Um, and that's probably the most popular option out there is a 42 mil objective lens. Uh, for the second clarity, just to to do the magnifications, looks at, if you look at Cabela's, they've got options going all the way down to 25 millimeters, um, and then 60 millimeters plus, I mean, you can get some giant glass, uh, but like those oddball magnifications we were talking about a second ago, for general usage, the more popular mid-sized options are a better option. I mean, there's a real reason they're so popular. Um, the reason I want to break those two numbers down quickly is to talk about this principle of exit pupil. Um, now some of you may be familiar with this, but we won't to bet the majority are not. Uh, and... There's a couple reasons why you should be thinking about this. Um, so exit people is just a fancy way of saying how much light, which is also measured in millimeters, uh, is allowed through the optics and then, you know, into your, your eye. And I mean, this is before we even start talking about lens coatings and optical clarity. And, oh, boy, there's a ton of stuff. Um, now, to find the exit people of a particular set of optics, we got to use math, which is a horrid four-letter word in its own right. And you do this by dividing the objective lens diameter by the magnification. Uh, so pretty quick, a set of 10 by 42 binoculars, you know, 42 to by 10s, you get 4.2 uh, millimeters of exit pupil. Uh, while that 8 by 42s we're talking about will have 5.25 millimeters of exit pupil. Um, I should note, too, that the average middle-aged eye can only dilate to about 5 millimeters. Uh, that's about max. So, 4.2 to 5.25, it's about ideal. That's really where you want to have it. Um, we can compare that to a set of compacts. Uh, we'll use Vortex's Raptor line, um, and they've got some 10x32s and 8x32s. Of course, those have 3.2mm and 4mm object- um, exit pupils, uh, respectively. The, the 8x are actually 8.5s, Always we did 8 for the simple math, simpler math. Uh, in addition to the exit pupil, um, the larger optics will allow for a larger field of view, um, or FOV, just those three capitals, um, that's, you'll see it listed a lot if you're looking at the specs of a certain set of, um, of optics, uh, doesn't matter if talking binoculars, spying scopes, whatever. So just to keep with the same brand, um, we're going to compare a couple more options from Vortex. Uh, I'll just stick to Vortex as I know their stuff the best and, um, Yeah, just keep things kind of simple. not going to be comparing Vortexes to Loopholes to Steiners, and they might all do things differently. Um, So, yeah, we'll stick with the Crossfires, which are their cheapest uh, roof prism. And uh, I'm not going to go into different kinds of prisms, but there's two different styles out there. There's roof prisms and Poro prisms. Uh, Poro is more old school, but we're going to stick to roof prisms. I really prefer them. But anyways... um, uh, the Crossfire 8x42s, they're going to have a field of view of 293 feet at 1,000 yards. And that's how they measure this field of view is how many feet can you see uh, at a 1,000-yard distance. Um, now we can compare that to their larger brothers, the 12x50s. Um, they're going to have a field of view of 273 feet at 1,000 yards. Um, and now that 20 feet might not sound like a lot or it might not be a lot. might not matter to you. Um, But for some folks, that field of view might be uh, kind of important. If you're looking at flying birds, um, something going by a mile a minute, you're probably going to want something with a larger field of view so you can play catch-up and and get on it and identify it versus trying to really be hunting for it um, with the bigger glass. So sticking with the different models, there's multiple. I mean, every manufacturer is not just one set of 8x42s, one set of 10x4s. They're all different. Um, and and these models they all differ based on the, the brightness. Um, and by the brightness, I mean how much light are they really letting in, um, and how bright does your subject look uh, when you're looking down the barrel of of this respective or these respective binoculars. Uh, and that's that brightness is really due to how the manufacturers treat the glass itself, um, both in how. Well, they polish the glass, but also on what coatings and how many coatings were put on the glass, uh, and this can have huge impacts into how clear it is. I mean, it's like looking at your truck windshield and then trying to look through a piece of stained glass. It's again, it's how it's treated, but it's, it's sometimes going to be that drastic in a difference too, or it seemed like it. Um, and these treatments are and polishings. Um, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. And that's where um, some of these glasses, um, I'm thinking the Swarovskis, the Zeiss, uh, uh, they really get off with these uh, multi-thousand dollar price tags. And, I mean, you're really going to see a difference in a set of $5,000 binoculars and a set of $50 binoculars. But, I mean, you don't have to spend 500 or 5000 but I'd, I would try to spend more than $50 um, unless you get a smoking deal. Because um, with glass, you really get what you pay for uh but again it's just like everything else in life though at some point you're going to start seeing this pattern of these diminishing returns um like just because you spend 500 bucks on a pair of binoculars that doesn't mean they're gonna be twice as good as a pair that you paid 250 dollars for um i mean if you're just gonna looking through glass uh just a couple hours a day i mean if you're looking through them out for a long time uh if you're if you're one of those guys that just, I mean, you are pretty much glued to your eyes and you spend hours and hours and hours behind them, uh, not so much in an airport scene, but depending on what profession you do, you might be doing a lot of that. Um, you're really going to want those high-end binoculars just to save you eye fatigue and whatnot. But on the airfield side, if you're just looking through them, look it up. Yep, that's a, I need a clear photo of that bird. I mean, a set of cheaper binoculars is going to get you there um you're not worried about the eye fatigue you're not worried all you want is a clear accurate photo and you don't need to spend five grand for that just a couple hundred bucks will get you that all day long um and then sticking with that i'd really that's where i would really stick is that couple hundred dollar range i mean i'd i'd go middle of the road i mean uh mid levels in the power and how big the glass is and in the price and by middle levels and the power, I'm talking about the populars, the 8 buys and the 10 buys. although some folks might prefer the 12s. Um, uh, and that's sticking with the same, either the 42 or 50 millimeter objective lenses. And it kind of in that 150 to 250 particular range, and this this bracket really gets you some really quality stuff for honestly not that much money. Um, you can go a little bit less. But I'd recommend sticking in here. You don't have to go higher, but you can if you want to, obviously. It's your money, not mine. Um, But with that, you're going to get some great clarity and quality and really an excellent bang for your buck. Uh, As far as the brands and models themselves, I really prefer and I always recommend Vortex, um, especially the Diamondback lines. Um, I'm from New York originally. Um, I grew up in northern New York. Uh, where we have big old hayfields, fields, next thing you know, we're going blowdowns, um, and a set of really thick, heavy timber, um, and a set of 10 by 42s uh, really, I prefer 10 by 42s um, I use them here on the Arizona desert, and I don't feel undergunned, um, not for my day-to-day stuff. Um, I carry them out in the field birding all the time. Um, now, I might not be able to see a mule deer at 300 yard or three miles away, but if he's three quarters of a mile or closer, I can't I can even see if he's a buck or not at that far or farther probably. Um, yeah, but um, you can go with the cross flares. I mean, the crossfires are great, but just for the extra features, I really would rather jump to the Diamondbacks. Um, next up above them is going to be your Viper line, uh, and this is where you start seeing your diminishing returns. I think the Vipers are a fantastic, fantastic set of binoculars, but I don't know if they're worth the price for the day, day day-to-day usage. I really like the Diamondback lines. All right, going getting off of Vortex for a second. Um, there's, I mean, number one in America for glass is probably Loophole. I mean, I think everybody's probably heard of Loophole at one point or another. And in this bracket, uh, we have the Marksman and BX two lines. They make a BX one, but I would highly recommend you stick to the BX twos. Um. from Nikon, we have stuff for like the, uh, the Pro Staff 5 line or the Monarch 3 line. Uh, these are two different lines, on the Pro Staffs, the Monarchs, um, but the 5s and 3s of the respective lines um, are somewhat similar. The Monarchs are a little bit more. You're starting to get to that top end, but again, you get what you pay for. Um, I ran a set of Monarch 5 12x42s before I knew about Exit Pupil. Um, and they're still a fantastic glass as long as I got a lot of sunlight. My exit pupil isn't there for deep, dark, cloudy days. But they're still a, a fantastic set of binoculars. Uh, and somebody else, um, Burris. Uh, you're really topping out that $250 line, but Burris, with their, I think it's called their Drop Time, makes a, a fantastic set. I owned Burris's for a long time. One of their lower, cheaper sets. I don't think they make that set anymore. But they were still a great glass, um, especially if you're just knock around to keep them in the truck binoculars. Uh, one last one, if uh, if you if, I think everybody probably shops on Amazon at one time or another. But if you are, if you're on there, even if you just want them for personal knock around binoculars, um, check out, uh, they're called AZ Alpha Zulu 842s. 8 4, 8 4 and that stands for Amazon 8x42s. And these are made by Steiner, which is a gla- um, German binocular and glass company, um, reputed to have phenomenal products. Um, I've never look, I've not looked through this particular set, but they got raving reviews, and uh, the pa- the prices fluctuate wicked. I mean, one day they might be two hundred and fifty dollars, next day they might be a hundred and thirty. I um, mean, you really gotta watch them, keep them in your car, keep an eye on them. Um, but they, I think for uh, whether on the airfield or if you enjoy birding and want to get into birding and you want to take them for knockarounds, I think they'd be a fantastic option. Now, when you get your binos, uh, make sure you tune them. Uh, and by tuning them, I'm talking about adjusting your diopter ring. Uh, depending on your make and model of binoculars, this ring might be in uh, a different part. Like on my Diamondbacks, the diopter ring is a little knurled ring right behind the uh, right ocular lens. That's the part you put up to your eye versus I know like Vortex with their vulture line puts it up on the focus ring. So really got to make sure where you know where it is. So to start out your tuning for these binoculars, um, well, first, yeah, go back to the to owner's manual, figure out where your diopter ring is. Um, but pick an object about 10 to 50 yards away. Um, I kind of prefer the 20 to 30 yard range. Um, Bring those binos up to your eyes and see if they're fuzzy. If you can't quite get them into focus, then they need to be tuned. Um, Even if they do work good, try to tune them a little bit, see if you can get them just a little bit better. But the way you do this is that with the binoculars up to your eyes, you're going to close your right eye. And then when you do that, adjust the focus ring, the main focus ring, until that left eye is perfectly clear, as clear as you can get it. Now you're going to reverse. You're going to close the left one and open your right eye. And now you're gonna use the diopter ring, not your focus ring. And then with your diopter ring, do the exact same thing. Get your right eye dialed right in where you want it. And then hopefully when you are done, open up, make sure both eyes are open and make sure they'll focus properly. Um, You should be dialed in. If not, uh, repeat those steps again, and they should be good. Um, Just keep doing that until you get uh, dialed right in. but, yeah, that's how you tune tune a set of binoculars. So, all right. So now you got your binoculars. Um, they're all tuned up, and you're out on the airfield going about your day-to-day when you notice there's a bird on the fuel farm. Uh, you raise up your brand-new binoculars, but you've got no idea what bird you're seeing. Now it's time for the next item. Uh, this item's going to be a guide, uh, a bird guide specifically, although they do make mammal and track and amphibians, and you can get guides for just about anything. Um. Now, if you've already been through a loomaker's training, which I hope everybody has, uh, you've probably received a guide. Um, more than likely, it was a bird guide, and even more likely, it was a Peterson's. Uh, Peterson's just a brand of, of guide. Um, they're a fantastic guide, but they're also not the only guide. Uh, there's multiple brands out there. Um, I mean, Peterson's obviously... Um, you get them from National Geographic. There's a guy named Richard Crosley does his all the photographs. There's no artist renditions. They're fantastic, but they're hard to find and they're expensive. Uh, Audubon, I mean, they're leader in birding and um, uh, conservation. They they do a lot. Um, my personal favorite, obviously, um, actually, uh, is uh, Sibley's another brand. They've been around forever, um, but they all do the job, uh, and they're all similar too in that. It might take a while to to find your bird in question because you got to go through the whole thing. Unless you've gone through beforehand and and separate them out with like sticky note showing your hawks versus your egrets versus your ducks versus your sparrows. Um, not everybody does that. It's kind of a birders thing to do. Um, uh, but it might take you a few minutes. So one trick you can do is obviously take a photo. Um, what's the saying? Take a photo. will last longer. Uh, So even if the bird flies off, you can still have more than a memory. Um, That kind of sounds more like a country song. Uh, In order to continue with your ID. Um, To take that trick uh, a step farther, um, just about everybody's got a smartphone nowadays. And these smartphones all have cameras. That's probably what you're going to take a photo with anyways. But use your binoculars too. Especially if it's a nice clear binocular. Um, (coughs) Vortex. Uh, You can... The trick is, the best trick is, uh, with my binoculars, with my doctor ring on the right ocular lens, take the eye cup on the left side and twist it out all the way. Just, it's going to be just, I think it's a left-hand turn. But anyways, you do that, and then you turn your camera on your smartphone, and then you line up your camera through the barrel of the binoculars. Uh, and doing that will give your camera that magnification. Um, it does a fantastic job. Um, I mean, it's a little small bird, a little sparrow or something. Uh, you're probably going to have a hard time focusing on it. But for larger birds, documenting um, coyotes or deer at a distance, um, it's a fantastic trick. And it's pretty quick, too, once you get the hang of it. Um, you could always buy an adapter, too. There's companies like PhoneScope out there that make adapters specifically for mounting these scopes to your optics. But they're not required for the quick usage. That's made more for the folks photographing elk and whatnot out in the mountains. Um, But, yeah, you can do that. Take a photo. And then, of course, you have that photo that you can refer to. Um, Although it's not going to be as good as, you know, looking straight through the binoculars at it. Uh, When you're looking, make sure, um, take note of any standout features, any prominent colors, any colors that really stand out. Um, Like on a robin. I mean, everybody knows what robin looks like, I think. Uh, but look at the red breast, um, pretty, pretty good advocate, um, indication. Uh, and then like on a mallard, if you see a duck and it turns broadside and you see two parallel white stripes, you got a mallard. Um, that's one nice thing about ducks is that the majority of them have white at some point in their year. Um, actually I think pretty much all of them have white at some point in their year, but anyways, you can do that. Uh, if you know where the white is, you can pretty quickly identify which species it is. Um, the gadwall, the oddball, has one on their uh, trailing section. I'm, I'm really embarrassed. I can't think of what that portion of the wing is called. Um, Wigeon have it on their secondaries. Uh, teal have white breasts. Uh, shovelers are pretty much all white at some times of the year. I mean, old school are pretty much all white. Um, long tails, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, so you can really... If, once you start learning those subtle features, you can really identify birds very, very, very quickly. Um, but there's another tool. Outside of guides, I mean, this is still a guide, but it's not the hard copy bird, um, bird book guide, but it's an app. I mean, there's an app for that. There's an app for everything nowadays. But there's these birding apps. Um, there's a ton of versions out there. But in my opinion, the best one is made by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And it's the best because there's a ton of birds and it's free. Um, uh, last I knew there was 3000 species identifiable on this app. Um, oh, cool feature about the app too, is if you do take a photograph, uh, if you got a good photo, there's a way in the app, you can upload that photo to the app and then it'll identify it through the photograph too, which is really cool. And I haven't used it a whole lot, but so far I've yet to see it be wrong. Um, so yeah, using this app, um, you're using the, your location, the date, and then the size, uh, and it is, luckily it's comparable sizes, not, oh, that bird was two and three quarter inches tall at a hundred yards. I wonder what, no, it's, was it a sparrow size? Was it a goose size? Was it in between that? Um, I think the different sizes are, uh, starts at sparrow or smaller, um, robin, Crow and goose are bigger, but there's also options to select between each of those options, too. Um, so you can really dial it in to where you think that bird would fall in. Um, after you do the sizes, you choose up to three colors. You don't always have to do three colors. I mean, obviously, if you have a Cormoran or a black hawk, probably only going to see the black. Don't got to put in the orange or whatever for the bill. Um, uh... And then you can select what the bird was doing. Like, I mean, was it feeding in a bird feeder? Was it soaring overhead? Using all these options, the app's going to try to come up with um, some possible choices for what your bird could be. Uh, A quick example is that I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Today is December 26th. And I saw a bird that was between a robin and crow in size for my three colors. Um, I'm just going to choose them a random, black, red, and orange. And say that my mystery bird is in the trees or bushes. Um, yeah, the, bird, the app's going to process this, and it comes up with the possibility of an American Kestrel or a Northern Cardinal, which are really great options. As a Kestrel on its back could be inferred as kind of like a really light orange color. i um, kind of going on by memory here. And a female Cardinal r- does have a, like an orangish side. I mean, it's not orange-orange, but um, it could be called orangish. Um it's got red and black highlights, so that's a really good um answer but we're gonna stick with the cart with the Kestrel so um going back to our uh, example earlier um there's a Kestrel at the fuel farm and you can report it on your record it rather really not report it uh on your appropriate forms um in your handy dandy clipboard <laughs> um uh now I was asked to discuss clipboards but uh Really, anything shy, using a phone book to write on, you're good. Actually, phone book's really good to write on, but anyways. Um, uh, with the clipboards, um, I kind of say it's kind of like choosing a hot sandwich. Do you want open-faced or do you want it enclosed? Uh, open faces are nice. Um, by open face, I'm talking about just a strip of um, of uh, uh, cardboard or, or wood slab with a, with a metal spring clip, and that's it. Um. And it's nice because all your documents are right there in the open. They're easy to access. The downside is that your documents are right out there in the open and easy to access. Um, I mean, you could always put on a large rubber band around the bottom uh, to keep your, your documents from waving around and, um, or waving at you in a stiff breeze. Um, but otherwise, there's not much you can do with a slab of wood and a spring clip. Um, going to the enclosed models, uh, I mean, obviously you have two choices. You got your metals or your plastics. Um plastics you kinda had the benefit of um there's that always that small little utensil pouch pocket at the bottom. Um you can keep all your obviously your utensils, rulers, anything small you might want handy in there. Versus the wide open like studio aspect of the steel models, um where everything's just kinda out and it can flop around. But um I mean these things are durable. Uh uh yeah, I mean, unless you you want to replace a baseball bat when you're playing ball, um, it's gonna take a real heater to put a dent in this thing. I mean, probably drive it over with a with a jet and it'll probably just put a little dink in it. Um, but yeah, so there you have it, the three items everybody should have with them to properly identify birds while in the field. Um, I think as part of a future episode, or uh, maybe not part, probably actually take up a whole episode into itself. Um, I'd like to go over bird ID a little bit more in depth, along with some trip, tips and tricks uh, that you can keep in mind to help um, identify birds in your region. It doesn't matter if you're in the northeast, the southeast, the southwest, or the northwest. Um, all right. With that, I'm going to sign off from the first ever Airport Wild Podcast. And from all of us here at Loomaker's Wildlife Management, thank you for listening and helping you to bring wildlife management to a higher level.